I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Chad from Tritonal, and you're listening to Rebel Radio right now. Fuck you, Josh! What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. Today is our six-year anniversary Six years we've been doing this, which sounds crazy to say, uh, but I'm excited to share this one with you. My guest today is Chad Cisneros. He's one half of the duo Tritonal. They are, if you're not familiar, DJs, producers. They have their own record label, radio show. They created a music production course teaching their techniques to aspiring producers. Uh, these guys are at the top of the game in trance and house music and have a new project that we're talking about today, a new album called Resonance, which is an hour-long piece of meditation music. Uh, we get into quite a bit about their spiritual journey and uh, self-development and how that's impacted their music and what they you know, decided to share with fans. Um, we also talk about productivity and process, and these guys have produced over 200 songs together over about 15 years, which is uh, an incredible amount of work that they're putting out. And so we talk about how they do that and, and uh, you know, what it means to them. And we talk about this meditation project and how, you know, it's a departure from, from their traditional sound and how that impacts the creativity they bring to other projects. So some great lessons, great stories. Chad's got a lot of energy. He's outside. Uh, at his home in Texas, and you can hear some of uh, a little bit of the nature around him. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Well, thanks, man. Uh, uh, appreciate you making time to talk. I'm, I'm been checking out the the new album, um, yeah. and excited to kind of talk about uh, how you got to this point and what you guys are doing now, and and all yeah. that. So. Um, 
you know, I always like to start at the very beginning, if you don't mind. Uh, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Yeah, I think it was a Chemical Brothers. Um, if you're talking about vinyl, I think it was a Chemical Brothers. If you're talking about actual music, I think yeah. it was Thriller. Okay. By Michael. Yeah, I think it was Thriller, man. Sure. Yeah, I think it was, but it wasn't a CD. It was still on tape because mm-hmm. I was born in I was born in the early eighties, nineteen eighty. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- that was probably a lot of people's first record. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy to think about just you know how you know big a record like that. Like, I don't you know I don't think we have that anymore. Where this one record defines you know, an entire moment all over the world. Because uh, information and, and access to the arts and different creative things wasn't available. So some sure. of it was the fact that that stuff was really, really good and really, really innovative. And some of it was the fact that there just wasn't that much stuff either. Of course. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and then how, how'd you get introduced to, to dance music and raving? Or- because I was a little, because I was a little crazy kid. And when I was, <laughs> uh, you know, 14, 15 years old, we wanted to explore psychedelics and, mm-hmm. uh, we were, mm-hmm. we were really young for that. And we wanted to explore, um, just the rave culture, you know? And so for me back then, it was as much about the, the, the unity and the parties and the underground sure. aspect of it that was as much of a culture as anything like the DJs back in the days used to have to get white label copies sent to them from like secret pressings and stuff to have the newest vinyl in order to have the dopest mix in the, at the events. And you never knew what that record was again. Like there was no way to ever find it. And if you wanted to hear that music, if you wanted to hear Paul Oakenfold at the Oslo, you had to go and dig to get those mixes, man. And so Some of the fact that there was a restriction to the amount of stuff alluding back to the Michael Jackson album is also the fact that, you know, now everything's everywhere. And although that's great, it also dilutes like the really, really good stuff. So I was going to parties and was, um, you know, music and 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 drugs and psychedelics and um, was as much escapism back then as it was elation and bliss and a whole establishing of a new paradigm or model of who I was in the world and what it meant to be a human being. Sure. I think, you know, it was an early cracking of that as psychedelics can do or meditation can do or yoga can do or Mm -hmm. um, heavy breathing can do like pranayama or, you know, Wilm Hof breathing. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of t- traditions that can bring you into the now, but that early period of my life, 16, 17 years old, when I was just beginning to experience psychedelics for the first time was those were some of the best experiences of my life because I was able to um, just come out of the really dense, convoluted, distorted thought models I had and paradigms I had of the world and just kind of see everything fresh or a new again for the first time Mm. and you know unfortunately i was chasing that freedom or that inner bliss so much um, because i had so much pain and suffering inside that 
that that led to heavier narcotics and those heavier sure. narcotics were um, absolutely destructive in the most severe way and yeah. almost killed me and wow. have killed a lot of people that I know. And so, you know, I'm 15 years um, now sober from, from those, you know, from the heavy, heavy narcotics, uh, namely okay. cocaine and heroin and, and, mm -hmm. and barbiturates. But, but I'll never forget the paradigm shifting qualities and therapeutic qualities that I had on those psychedelic experiences because they were and are vastly, vastly different things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fast forward to today, I'm still integrating and coming to realize through sadhana or spiritual practices what those experiences were about, what they actually mean, and like who I am beyond just the most surface level, superficial vibratory plane of what I'd call me, which is my body or my spacesuit, my thought complexes, my psycho DNA spacesuit, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the DNA predispositions that it has. That's the most surface level of me. And, and that's what before psychedelics, all I thought I was. I thought that was the totality of what I was. And because sure. I was the that was the totality of what I was, I was cut off, always needy, constantly in fear and selfish as fuck because mm -hmm. it's all about me because of ultimately I'm going to be annihilated. I might as well get what I can take now. But when you begin to tap into that deeper sense of me or that deeper sense of self or that you begin to transcend that superficial surface layer and actually experience yourself as one with or a part of or a cohesiveness with the totality of existence. And that experience, that transcendent experience is so freeing and liberating because for the first time you realize that death is just another moment it's just another transition it's just another flowering on a continuum mm. of an ever flowing ever changing ever blissful thing we can call consciousness you can call it brahma you can call it ishvara you can call it god you can call it whatever you want but but mm -hmm. the reality is is that you can find that sober and absolutely continue to dive deep through that in meditation, which is why we wanted to write this album, because I think before COVID hit, Dave and I were at a place in our career where we were like, man, we've done all the like things that are like you need to do to have a successful touring career and in, mm -hmm. in, 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 a, in a dance music industry and that like we're writing credible, authentic, consistent music now for a better part of 14, 15 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. This album was a time for us to just say, if we were to just stop making music, what is the thing we would want to do before we did that? And what would we want to actually put down for ourselves and like people that we're close to and our family? Like, what would we want to leave on the planet in order to just kind of make it a better place? Yeah. Not because it's going to generate any amount of streams or you need a single or you got to have some radio. Sure. Fuck, sure. You know what I'm saying? So, so sorry to ramble, but yeah. No, no, this, this is great stuff. I love, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I love you taking me through that journey. Um, uh, well, let me start here. Did you, Was there a moment, like, so you said, you know, this new album came out of a, a thinking about what's our legacy, right? Beyond. Yeah, the, what do we want to say? What do we want to say to our fans beyond just the, the club tracks? So is there something we can give them that, 
will be a technology that will actually en en enhance their lives and potentially even be used as a, a technology that they can use in inner stillness in order to extricate themselves from the false identification with the small little me that says, this is all I am. This is one sure. my one shot. Get it while you can. Little selfish me. And so can they about, what, go ahead? What led, what led you to that conversation? Where, where was, you know, where was the moment where you guys decided to sit down and, and say, okay, instead of just writing another album like the last one, you know, we want to have a different sort of discussion. Well, because Dave and I came out of the trance, we, we, we originated in trance. Right. Um, and we were highly successful pretty quickly in that genre. Mm -hmm. um, I think our first album had like six trance number one beat port singles on it or something. Right. Um, yep. And look, man, as success rolled through the world, because dance music was a planetary phenomena the last, I would say, eight to 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And stylistically, everything shifted from rock and rap mm -hmm. in terms of like culture to dance culture. Um, and as we got swept up in that wave, we began to, I think, operate in the later stages under more and more and more of a delusory paradigm or a really false paradigm. And, and that's been a real life lesson. And for us, that was the paradigm that, and you know, you, you don't consciously say this to yourself ever in the journey of writing music, bring on all that, but like slowly, but underlying waking consciousness you're slowly always choosing this paradigm that says more is better mm -hmm. always and so yeah. there's never a big enough hit we always need to go bigger and every time we play a sold out show next time it needs to be in a bigger room and a bigger mm -hmm. theater more nights of course and the vegas residencies got bigger and bigger and the formula the formulaic methodology to writing a quote-unquote hit got more and more crystallized and dave and i began to lose ourselves artistically in that false paradigm or in that false model and because initially when it was just about you know the early stages of tritonal we really wanted to make you feel a certain way and slowly over time we got better and better and better at engineering and mastering and producing it make a record at making a record really hit Mm -hmm. Right. Like really, really fucking hit. And um, we became better and better engineers. And we also loved a lot of the sort of more mainstream stuff that was coming out back in 2012, 13, 14, where Zed was coming up. There was mm -hmm. Skrillex. There was Swedish House Mafia. There was a lot of people that were doing sort of a more big room, main stage, ultra EDC, main stage yeah. level sounding stuff. And yep. we loved it. And and so we jumped on that and bigger is better became sort of the motto. And, you know, about three years ago, I guess two and a half years ago, we just talked about not being as happy making music anymore because it was always about trying to get trying to get to some end goal that everybody said would make us happy. But there was no end goal. There was no point you could arrive at where it was enough. There was no amount of streams. There was no amount, like it was always, you're only as good as your last record kind of bullshit mentality, I think. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and we just had a waking up where we were like, we're 
absolutely operating unconsciously as artists. And if we want to have our music and our careers parallel what we're doing in our marriages and in our adult lives and in our spiritual lives and in our yoga and meditation and working out and eating healthy, if we want our music to parallel that, then we need to make some like underlying conscious changes about how we're approaching music. And I think that that means getting back to the things that we always loved that were less commercial and more underground, but they were what did it for us in terms of really turning us on to dance music. And it was longer tracks. It was more repetitive rhythms. It was things that are less catchy and less hooky and less cotton candy in two and a half fucking minutes and it's over. Right. Like it, it's more about something that you it actually takes you on beyond the thinking mind and it takes time in order to work its way through you. And mm -hmm. so in order for it to do that, you've got to make tracks that are like they're not three and a half minutes for Spotify's main playlist. Like they're not right. going on radio and they're not yeah. about that. They're never we're supposed to. And they're probably not going to get new hundreds of millions of streams. And they're also not supposed to. And mm -hmm. You have to, at some point as an art, we don't have to, but we have as artists decided to honor our role and what we think our role is in, is in the dance industry. And that's to uplift and to raise the consciousness of all beings. And I, I just don't know that there's a lot of other DJs that are that aware yet and, and also willing to use their brand and their profile to that aim. Sure. And I just got to a place where I was like, I'm not, I'm sober. I'm accomplishing everything that I want to accomplish. I have a beautiful family. Why am I still so irritable, restless, and discontent? And why mm. am I still suffering so much? Mm. Right? That's great. And that's because I'm, I'm not parallel internally. I'm saying that I believe in one thing, yet externally, in order to make money, I'm living by a different set of values. And although they are close, they're subtly... Uh, they're sort of morphized, right? They're so right. subtly like not the same. So if I hear what you're saying, you know, the sound, it's not that the sound necessarily had to change. It's, it's more that that's the sound. You, you were making the sound because you wanted to be successful, not because it was coming. It both. Know. It's not an either or proposition. I think right. a lot of things in life, there's, they're all entangled. And so there's mm -hmm. an entanglement sure. of, We've enjoyed most of the records that we've worked on. We mm -hmm. just realize now, looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020, that a lot of times we were creating those out of a formula that we thought sure. would work. Doesn't yeah. mean that we weren't enjoying the process or being creative or trying to make it hot or trying to come up with the tightest thing we could. We were, mm -hmm. but like, let's back the, all the way up to the why and now ask ourselves, A, why are we making this song? B, what do we want to say? And C, yeah. does it matter? Does it impact anybody in a meaningful way? And if not, why? What are we doing this? And why are we trying to make music? And who are we? And I think that just, I don't know that a lot of people are willing to just dead themselves down and mm -hmm. quiet themselves up long enough to close their eyes and follow their breath until they realize those answers. Because those answers so, are tough fucking questions to wrestle with, man. Absolutely. I mean, these are the big questions of our life, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So were you guys... Did you both come to that simultaneously or was there a, Jay, was there I a think process? Jay, I, to... no, I think this is more of a, there's a wasp. He's tracking me down. He was looking to <laughs> score, bro. If I put the phone down, it's because I got to go into fucking karate mode. All right. <laughs> no worries. 
Dave is on his own spiritual journey for sure. But Dave, um, you know, hasn't had, I don't think the, um, the intensity of the transformation that, that I've been undergoing the last few years. And that's because okay. I've just, um, really dove into the, to the discipline. Um, mm -hmm. and especially mm -hmm. during COVID I, um, pretty much every day did two, two or more hours a day of sitting and wow. meditation and, um, and really dove deep into trying to absolutely experience that and, and verifiably get there over and over and again. And, and I can say without question, unequivocally, you know, I'm, I've changed. And I think that, um, sure. as a, as a father and as somebody who is in front of thousands of kids playing live music and, um, at parties that are huge, awesome events, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we have the opportunity to bring just a slightly different tone. Right. And it's, it's subtle and it's not in your face and it's not preaching. It's not telling you that you need to believe in anything or adhere mm -hmm. to any rules or do anything different. It's just sending out love from a place of stillness, understanding that inherently we're absolutely all connected. And I think that just that in and of itself is so subtle and just so powerful if you really wake up to it. Yeah. So Tell me about the musical side of that. Once you made that decision that this is this is the record we want to make, right? And now, you know, you're journeying into sound genres that, you know, are different from what you're used to making. So what was what was the process for then saying, okay, this is the kind of record we're going to make. How do we make the record we want to make? Yeah, well, immediately. I mean, we were already talking to, uh, we've done these kind of records in the past. So it wasn't like we've, not taking our stab at a sort of John Hopkins, Nils from Brian Eno, BT kind of a song. We have, mm -hmm. we have sure. a few times. And, um, mm -hmm. and we've often worked with Nick Sabicki, who's on this record and who was my, uh, you know, professor at the University of Texas. Um, mm -hmm. And um, we've stayed friends and, and close contact and worked on numerous projects. I just knew that this was going to, we were going to want some real raw strings and I knew that in, um, immediately Nick's uh, skills when it comes to automating expression that sounds realistic, like real scores on compositions, because he, he is a um, not only is a composer, but he writes code and he's a professor and he he scores okay. movies. So he does. So I knew that I knew that we would be able to get some really raw strings. So we included Nick early on on that. And we mm -hmm. all sort of had a vibe that we wanted it. We wanted to write an hour long piece of music that was just one piece of music. And I know it's tracked and I know there's different names on there and sure. all that came later. But really, mm -hmm. this was about making a 60 minute song or or idea, not about a bunch of individual tracks. Um, and that we have never approached writing an album like that. And we've also never approached writing an album all in one freaking project file as mm. one continuous you know session and logic that sounds Pro. scary oh yeah we've i mean we've gone eight nine minutes but we've right. crashed so many so we were constantly having to bounce <laughs> in place and reorganize yeah, yeah, and refolder yeah. and resystemize and constantly like or like there was as much mm -hmm. time organizing and like trying to um 
crack the code of how to arrange and how to keep, you know, recycling and, you know, that, that was half the battle. But once we got the layout down, um, we really just, the music just kind of flew out. And I know that's obviously it's cliche and it's, and I get that. And I try not to do, cause I hate that interviews when you have a cliche answer, but it's just the truth. So whether it's cliche or not, I don't care. Right. And so it literally just did just flow out and it would come in big chunks. We do 15, 20 minutes at a time. And there were four, five, six big chunks. And then the rest was really just honing in on details on those compositionary chunks because it was really written with two themes. That's it. It's the first theme that you hear about. Oh, um, first couple minutes in that first big piano theme and then one other theme an a and a b theme and those themes rotate throughout different key signatures and throughout different meters and throughout different tempos over the course of an hour but they're really just it's really just a recapitulation of this these core two central ideas that unless you're really an adept you know music theory wise or you've got a really good ear you probably won't know because the tempo changes and the key changes kind of keep the listener thrown off. Um, but it's enough of a subconscious connection that if you're really paying attention, it makes sense. Um, and so that was the idea. That's it. To make, to make a record that made that would allow me to potentially have or allow someone else to have the experiences I was having at the time by using this sort of technology. And I love drones and i love things that are long evolving and take time to get there and really are subtle and yet interesting yet not in your face and you have to be aware in order to appreciate those things and and i do and i think it took me it took me a long time to come back to sort of my inner child lovings and really honor that as an artist i think any artist kind of need you need to have some success you need to be able to tour you need to be able to then cultivate your music that you're making in the studio to really work live at your shows so that you can provide the experience that you want to have at your shows and then at some point you probably have the experience that you've been doing things in order leaning towards success sometimes more than the art and then you have a reawakening and then after the reawakening you have the opportunity if you go through all these cycles to make the best art of your life right and i think that um when i think about bands that are doing this like i think head full of dreams by coldplay i just look at the arc of their career and i think those guys have had the same manager the same road team the same crew they have played Super Bowls and done the fact, I mean, they've done everything and they just keep crystallizing their message and their relationship and their, and it's just amazing to see an act like that. That's yeah. a real band continue to like have something to say, actually say it and provide an experience where people can actually change for the better and feel mm-hmm. better about living their life and actually go into the world and be happier people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking about that, you know, what was the conversation with your team, right? Cause you, you, you know, you have a team whose job it yeah. is to kind of like, uh, look out for you. Well, right. But, but, you know, for a lot of, in a large part, it's what you were talking about before. It's the team's job is to make things bigger and better and to make more That's money right. and reach more people That's and right. all that. Right. So tell yep. me about the conversations with, you know, management, agents, you know, whoever. Man, they just, 
I was going so deep and so heavy into this <laughs> revolutionary undergoing change of who I was and what yeah. I thought of my, that like they just knew it because it was dripping from me. Mm-hmm. And there's there was no other conversation to have but that conversation 24 okay. seven. Okay. And so there was no there was no veering me off track or reconsidering it or mm-hmm. um or really even trying to, they were in total alignment with it. And just, I think they just see it as a coming home. I think mm-hmm. everybody does. And it's, you know, we're already halfway through our next album and it's a real, it's a real, I mean, we're really going for the dance. We're going for the head full of dreams, tritonal style, right? We're going for a big one and okay. we're writing from a really great place. Um, but I just wanted to reset the, the palette and, and, reset the the flow and really just slow down for a minute breathe back up reflect and then really choose consciously on our decisions and our path mm-hmm. and really make one for once instead of just you know constantly moving 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 because this is hot this is hot and just being a slave to that in order to really create really good art sometimes you need to like really back up and just pause, hit pause on everything and really evaluate and ask yourselves things and really just have it out with yourself. And um, yeah. I think when you have it out with yourself, now you're clearer and you can really you can really then approach things from just a just a more calm, collected headspace, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. And at the same time, it's difficult, right, because you're you got this machine that you're running. You're, you know, know. you're a CEO and you got, I know. you got I people, know. you know, I know, uh, I know. But the, the crazy thing is, is COVID like paused all of it. So yeah. like, there's, there's nothing to do right now. There's no tours we can do. Right. There's no, you know, it was the perfect time to literally stop and reflect. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I just honored that. And I just mm-hmm. honored what that time was about yeah. and, and did that thing and yeah. came out of that thing with, you know, basically a couple albums written and, and more importantly, a real sense of authenticity and purpose on where we're going and what we want to say and what kind of visuals we want and what kind of tours we want and what kind of things we want to do. It just really ignited all of the stuff. Mm. When you go all the way back down to the roots and you really shake the roots and make sure that you're coming from a solid place, yeah. everything from that point just seems to come into alignment so much faster. What um, so you said you're you're already working on the next album? What tell me about how the making reverence impacts the music you make after that? Well, just like for one, reverence was a highly focused album, and I say that in the sense that its aim was to allow you to go deeper into meditation. It's right. a meditation album. So you got, so I'm able to compartmentalize that, which has a very specific purpose and needs to be laid out into a way in which where one can use that sound to go into that state. But 
you know, our next album was written more from the standpoint of writing songs for mm -hmm. entertainment and enjoyment sake. And I think sure. that sure. making sure that we establish those two criteria are, are important because they mm -hmm. are important because when you're writing music from a, a purely listenable, enjoyable perspective, now the songwriting is everything. And it literally is, it is about the message, but it's equally about the song and it's yeah. equally about, you know, the melodies and the chord structure and the arrangement and all that. And it's, it's not that it's not like about that in meditative music. It's just that things tend to drone on and evolve at a much slower pace. So mm -hmm. reverence allowed Dave and I to hit the pause button and just take a break from constantly producing catchy dance pop, electro, trancey, EDM bangers, right? It allowed us to slow down, go back home to roots. And now it's so fun again, you know, to really approach songwriting because we really have become better songwriters and yeah. we work with amazing songwriters. The, the difference now is now we have a really focused message. And so mm -hmm. whereas before we didn't dig into the lyrics as much, we really on the songwriting sessions have been going back and forth and back and forth with the writers really establishing like what what are we actually talking about and what are we saying because so many times you can just go with a lyric because it works in a melody scheme and just kind of it's throwaway to you or whatever and you don't really ask yourself what are we saying deep enough mm -hmm. i don't think and i think things are just thrown away all the time like that and so again that sounds like a subtle change in your sound but when you're doing that consistency all the time consistently all the time it really adds up into the sort of quality of the message over the course of an album you know sure. what i'm saying sure and, sure and it also is reverence is also impacting us in the fact that for a dance pop or a, you know more of a commercial progressive trance edm record for tritonal um, we've also never approached an album like that that was also a themed, cohesive idea, meaning that a lot of times we've made um, a compilation of singles and then other right. tracks to fill in the gaps that comprise sure. an album, as opposed to stopping, coming up with a message and a theme, writing from that message and a theme, all the songs, and then making that message and a theme the part of the branding the merchandise, the visual art and all the things that you're going to do from that album is one thing. And that's different about this album because we've done that. And so that's mm -hmm. another big maturity thing that you have to have. I mean, I don't guess, I guess some artists just come out so mature because whatever, you know, but we had to sort of like grow into that, if that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it does make sense. And I, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, you know, dance music has traditionally been a singles business. Yeah. Right. It's all about what, you know, what moves people on the dance floor. And, and, you know, everything you're saying really resonates with me, right? Like I've been, you know, I've been going to raves since before they were called raves. And, yeah. you know, and I think there's this interesting, you know, dichotomy that, you know, on the one hand, it's about getting fucked up and dancing and, and just having the time of your life. And on the other hand, you know, there is a consciousness and a sense of community. And I think, you know, it, for me, at least, it, you know, it started with people just being there and being free with themselves. Right. And whether that's yeah. the drugs or the music or the combination or the, you know, all, just all of the above. Right. That that um, that gives space for people to maybe explore more of who they are. Yeah. And, and that leads you down this other path. So to me, I think it's a really interesting um 
way to kind of bring those things together. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and I think especially we're... now in this moment where we're having conversations about mental health, you yeah. know, we're, we're understanding. Yeah. Pierce know. is gone. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, sure. and you know, I'm in the rooms and I've had sponsees die. I've had mm-hmm. a few sponsees OD on heroin. Mm-hmm. That, that's why I'm, um, it's important for me to honor that part. And, um, Sure. You know, I don't I'm not I don't operate out of the paradigm that drugs are bad. I just know that for me, some narcotics are so powerful for me personally that once I'm going on them, I, I don't seem to have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. I need to like be physically removed yeah. and then really have to work through all that processes of like rearranging the, you know, sort of like neural i think it like changes the neural pathways and really the receptors and what's going on at a biochemical level and also a spiritual level and and those two things are intertwined and they um they're entangled too and you know that's why it's you know i just think that dave and i because i was a because i was a real bona fide rave kid and went to um you know underground parties when we had to call in with the hotline Mm -hmm. you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and like for sure I just think that, that I just think that I know what that life's like. And there's a lot of sad kids in it, man. And there's a lot of real, there's a lot of really depressed, hurting people that are looking for therapy through music and drugs. And um, I think if it at those situations, I can provide a sound and a message that even at the subtlest levels begins to awaken them to a higher form of vibratory consciousness. That's awesome. And I think that now that we've actually really begin to crystallize that whole message of who am I, what am I doing here and what the fucking point? Um, we can change. We can, we can have some really, really cool experiences. We've got some really cool ideas about what we want to do at live shows. And, um, and that's going to be cool. That's nice. going to be really cool, man. Yeah. Talk about you and Dave for a minute. So, you know, you guys have had a, a very successful partnership and, and, you know, not just in music, right. But you've had radio shows, record label, yeah, uh, all kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I, I looked at, you know, partnerships are hard. It's hard to maintain. Um, teach me a little bit of the the secrets of of that partnership and you know how do you how do you make decisions together what do you guys do when you disagree all that stuff so i think our partnership works so well because we're so vastly different in our personalities okay um and 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 i and that's because dave i'm triple type a super outgoing um and i'm very reactive emotionally reactive and and just reactive you know what i mean and mm-hmm. so that's what i'm working on is my reactivity my emotional reactivity and my um just being able to pause more and come from a place of of stillness and dave's just the other way he just more thoughtful listens more less but also doesn't have the like insane drive right that i do mm-hmm. to constantly push and so the we've worked our personalities have embraced well they've they've he's been able to help me in areas where i'm weak and vice versa Mm -hmm. and i think that um that's the magic is is just that 
we co-mingle well and we've always had to continue to have you know difficult conversations man i mean it's kind of like a marriage mm-hmm. and you got to constantly clean house and you know i think that because we speak each other's um musical language so harmoniously together that we connect so deep on that level that we're able to just kind of figure the other things out i think mm-hmm. and um okay. and i you know i think that we just love making music so much the same and so yeah. you know at some point man it'll run its course and that'll be that but i don't know when that is and or what that's going to look like like i know that dave and i would love it if we're able to have the opportunity to make music until we don't want to make music anymore. We'll see if that's the case. We're not all promised. You know what I'm saying? And that's what sure. COVID taught us all. You're not yeah. like you're you're every one of us who's been able to do this at any capacity has been blessed, right? And and I just think that the gratitude for that and the gratitude, you know, you can gripe about Spotify not paying their royalty share or the labels who've you know vampired the lifeblood out of the you know indie breaking mm-hmm. new art or whatever you want to complain about because there's a million things to complain about sure. but the reality is is that a lot of a lot of artists have been able to make substantial careers off of not doing that much work i mean we've worked really hard but simultaneously we don't dig holes every day you know what i'm saying yeah. like we get to oh, do yeah. things that it's really fun to do Definitely. um so yeah, I don't know, man. I think that having gratitude is good. And Dave and I, I don't know, man. I guess we're just working through it still. Like, just like any any people, I think you just have to be willing to guys, love each other through the mistakes because we both sure. make them. You know what I mean? That's a big one. Do you guys have, do you like divide up responsibilities? Like, yeah. this is Chad's lane, this is Dave's lane. Like, how does yeah, that work? Yeah, we've, we've got, we divide and conquer all the time. That's huge. Um a big part uh, like we switch the radio show every week mm-hmm. um and he'll i'll finish a mix off or a master off and he'll still be on another section of their track and we'll cut we use our message to send each other clips and we switch back in and out of the same project file and it's all on dropbox and we have the exact same identical setups um mm-hmm. so we bang man online like we we bang it out um and we got good at that early on because we started our partnership basically on the internet, like way mm-hmm. back, you know, is that right? And so like we we've always used the internet um, and we've just gotten really good at that. Um, yeah. And, you know, for the first five or six years, we were in two chairs beside each other every day, you know, six days a week, mm-hmm. um, eight, 10 hours a day. So being in that close proximity and really working that hard that long together you you're in the trenches together you sort of learn your own little code language for like what you can do what you're good at what i'm good at and how we can bang this out more efficiently and we've really honed that in and figured that out nice nice um you you talked about i mean I i think you guys have been incredibly prolific right you you've released a ton of music ton of music um i think i read somewhere over over 200 tracks and remixes yeah um what's the uh <laughs> what's the secret to to that productivity because you got to treat it like it's a job the secret to productivity is you produce when you're sad and you produce when you're mad and you produce when you're lonely and you produce when you're inspired and you produce when you're uninspired and you produce every day because 
That's what you need to do in order to get better at it. And if you approach it like that, then you'll get out of your own way of always needing to feel inspired about something in order to get creative. Because getting creative is more of just about getting present, noodling around, figuring out what you want to do and really digging in Mm -hmm. than it is about entering it through the mind. And I think that, um, you know, just always showing up. Dave and I just kept showing up to the other every day, man. And sobriety was a big part of that. Yeah. So being sober minded and going to bed early and working out and eating healthy and banging out 200 records is a, you know, you got to be there at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. You need to be there till four o'clock, five o'clock. You need to put it in if you're really going to turn it out. I mean, and that's, we did that. And I think we got used to that. And anytime you just put in enough hours, you just get good at what you're doing, man. Mm, Um, I love that. Love that answer. and that's all there is really to it. You paint every day, you're going to become a pretty damn good painter. Right. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, teach us a little bit about meditation. Uh, okay. So I think what most people um, don't understand is that they should treat it more like going to the library or going to a workout than they should um, something that they do right before they go to sleep. Although there are meditations that are right before you go to sleep and that's Nidra yoga. Um, and that's a specific type of meditation, which is also wonderful at helping you go to sleep. Um, but I think that sitting up straight with your spine erect with, um, on a armless chair where you can have your, um, back, your lower back, not rest on the chair, but you can allow your, your shishuna or your main nervous channel your your cerebral cortex spine your spinal column to be free energetically free from touching anything and erect and straight as that allows you to breathe deeper that allows you to really settle in that allows you to really concentrate better um i think um having some sort of a mantra or um a repetitious phrase that you repeat during the inhalation and the exhalation, um, Mm -hmm. I love using rising as I inhale and falling as I exhale, Mm -hmm. um, and really staying single pointed on just those two words. And literally as you inhale mentally say rising and then visualize it on a chalkboard or on a whiteboard, Mm. um, spell it out in your mind. And as you exhale, really say falling and not try to control your breath, but really just watch your breath and, stay mm-hmm. and try to stay as razor sharp single pointed concentration as you can on just that thing and see um how quickly the storm of thoughts will try to come in and grab you and pull you out and take you off on another on another journey that you're unconscious of either that be a memory or an imagination or something you should have done or someone you want to talk to whatever that is and as soon as you remember that you were only going to for X amount of minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, that you were only going to follow your breath and stay rising, falling. As soon as you remember that you've been kidnapped again, gently yet firmly bring yourself back to that rising and falling and start again for the starting again is the meditation practice. That is the discipline. You shouldn't get down in yourself. There's no need for discouragement. The starting again, once you've fallen off is the, is the practice that is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And so every time you start over, it's an opportunity for you to see that 
just like we do in life. When we stumble, when we collapse, when we fall short again, it's just an opportunity to come right back up and start again. You know, the other thing that I would do is I would have your palms resting at, you know, right at where your thighs meet your waist turned up. Um, and you can use your, your hands backwards like that in order to keep your spine from bending like this. You can use your hands to press mm -hmm. your spine back up and it sort of gives you some leverage right there so you can mm -hmm. really stay straight up. And the next thing is, is just be willing to set a timer and to sit there irregardless of how uncomfortable or how much discomfort you may be experiencing just to breathe through that and remind yourself that you're only trying to practice to be able to let go of the insistent, the insistent, you know, storm of thoughts, of thought forms. Sure. And, sure. and what most people, they get frustrated with themselves and they can't do it. And it's too hard. And, and, Really what that is, is their unwillingness to sit with the discomfort of the starting over again and again and again. And it's really crazy and, and eye-opening when you see how powerless you actually are when you're in, in an unconscious state to your mm -hmm. thoughts and how your mm -hmm. thoughts trigger an emotion and an emotion triggers a thought. And, a tr and you're in this constant feedback loop, unaware that this feedback loop is always going on. Yeah. And if you'll sit there, irregardless of how uncomfortable it is, for long enough and keep doing the single-pointed concentration long enough, there will come a moment where your thoughts will absolutely cease. They will slow way, way down. And mm -hmm. a little bit of inner spaciousness will be created where you'll realize, oh, whoa, I'm not my mind. And you'll begin to experience yourself as this conscious awareness this loving awareness that's yeah. a cohesiveness that's with emerging with sort of a consciousness that's beyond just your individualized consciousness, but still is you. It's not either or it's, it's a at mm -hmm. one with or at home with the universe. You'll begin to experience yourself in this transcendent state of homeness or ohmness. And that, that cohesiveness is, such a moment that it allows love and peace and unity to flow back through you because immediately the fear of death and of annihilation and of being cut off and separate is remedied and healed and it can begin to harmonize and when that harmonization happens you just feel you just feel okay you're like man i was really caught up in how fucked up and shitty everything is but it's actually just all right you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. it's uh, actually exactly. it's yeah. actually perfect no i love that man and and you know uh one of my favorite meditation practices um you know whenever i've been injured which is frequently i uh <laughs> you know i've done meditation on pain right and and this idea that you bring you know, so much about pain management in our world, right, is about alleviating or getting further distant from the pain, right? Things to take your mind off it or things to numb it. Go whatever, into right? it. Go into it, right? And so I remember, I remember the first time, you know, trying that and, and hearing, hearing that uh, to, you know, you focus your attention right in the center of the pain and you sit with that. And sit I remember that. You know, and it took me a while to realize, right? But but the point of that is that 
you know, sometimes shit's going to hurt and you got to just be okay with it. Like you said, you got to be okay, even when you're in pain. Right. Um, and you gotta and it's breathe. not so much you that the breathe. pain goes away, but the yeah. power that it has over you decreases. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, to me, that's so, that's so powerful. I love that. I love that. I love that too. Well, thanks, man. Um, before I let you go, I got a quick lightning round that I, I want to take you through. Okay. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Tokyo. Oh, yeah, mine too. Can love them there. Can't wait to get back. Who is your favorite DJ? Above and beyond. What's the last great book you read or listened to? The Yoga Sutras by Patanjali. Good one. Um, what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Arachnophobia or Jaws or, or Rocky. Okay. I don't know. One of those three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, who's somebody you've learned a lot from that you haven't met? Eckhart Tolle. And uh, last one, if I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Subek. Subek. It's all one in Sanskrit. Nice. Nice. Man, Subek. thanks for talking with me, man. These are great stories, great lessons. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was great, bro. Let me get back to painting, man. Yeah, for sure. Do your thing. Yeah, that was Tritonal on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Thanks for celebrating our six-year anniversary with us. Uh, if you have time, go back and listen to all of the last six years of our content. Love to know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>